sus números, le van a servir Tiescar, va a correr por fuera, va a correr por fuera. ¡Touchdown! That's Tonio Ramos and Jaime Moreno on the Panthers Spanish radio call. I I took three years of Spanish. I don't know what I'm back is in Spanish. I oh. probably knew that at some point 40 years ago, but it tends to, when you don't use it over you the course it. of four decades, you tend to lose. You don't use it. All right. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> That's a, well, yeah. Well, and, and I don't and know either, know but I'm oddly enough, I'm going through that right now. My little boy Last night, I'm starting to have to like restart the engines on on my my Spanish. I can speak a little Spanish. I just like you. I needed to be around a little bit and need to talk it. Uh, but my little boy last night was going through like vocab words and he was asking me in a few. And I was like, oh man, I haven't thought about that in a, a long time. So I'm uh, I'm getting back on the horse here with my my Spanish speaking. Pete tells me it's a regresado. Oh, I have returned. I have I would have not got that. I wouldn't have either. Yeah. I don't think I ever knew that one. I, I don't, don't think that's I one either. I would have forgotten right. in the past 40 years because it, it sounds completely unfamiliar to me. But as we said, you use it or you lose it, and there is a segue to be had to our next segment. And, and let me just give you the quick background on this. I mentioned it briefly before we went to break. We have been complaining, as needed, about the bad calls that happen every week. And the NFL's approach is basically... We're not going to talk about it. We're going to keep our head low. We're going to keep our mouth shut because there's always another bright, shiny object rolling down the assembly line to attract everyone's attention, and they'll quit talking about the bad call. Now, last week, we did get a 1-minute and 43-second video from Perry Fuel reading off a teleprompter, giving very conclusory statements about a smattering of bad calls. He did not include the horrible low block call that was made in the Bears-Steelers game, but yeah, we don't have the kind of transparency and explanation that guys like Dean Blandino and Mike Pereira used to provide on NFL Network. Right. So Chris made the comment yesterday, hey, I'd like to do a segment like this. And somebody emailed and said, hey, that's a great idea. Why don't you do it? And I read the email and I said, hey, it's good enough for me to steal it. Let's go ahead and do it, Pete. Yeah. And we put it together. And Pete spent a lot of time yesterday. I got to give him credit yep. where it's due. A lot of I credit. enjoyed calling him no out. Doubt. You got to give him credit. No He's doubt. the one that looked through the calls. So now here we are for the first and quite possibly last time ever, we are going to, in this spot, every Wednesday during football season, we are going to share with you some of the horse crap calls in this segment that we will call after further review. They wouldn't let us call it, Chris, horse crap calls. Oh, that would have been good. Horse crap calls would have been good. <laughs> horse crap! With the, yes. with the horse head but, emoji hey. and the frozen yogurt emoji. Because that's what it is, right? Side by side, it would have been perfect. It would. It really would. It would have been perfect. It would. But the, the, like again, I think you've heard me the last maybe three, four Sundays. I've been going crazy with this stuff. It's affecting football games. Part of the game, part of why you draft defensive linemen and do things is you know to impose your physicality, make a quarterback feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. You're not allowed to touch the guy anymore. The 85 Bears, the 86 Giants, never would have got to the Super Bowl in this day and age. Nobody. All the great defenses in the history of time, wipe them away. Wipe them away. It's a, it, there's no way. It just, it's getting to the point where I want to be like, well, maybe we, you shouldn't even draft defensive pass rushers anymore. Who cares? I, it just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And let's go to it uh, and look at this so we can 
shake our heads. And let's more. start, yeah, with the, 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 the biggest one of the week. We've already spoken about it, yeah. so we're not going to belabor the point. But we could not omit this from the initial package of horse crap calls. <laughs> Caden Ellis, here he is, roughing the passer or not for the New Orleans Saints, wiping off an interception in a 6-6 game late in the first half. The Titans would go on to score the touchdown. That one there. And, you know, we're conditioned, Chris, to wait for the flag now. Anytime we see traffic yeah, around the quarterback, right. oh, oh, is he going to throw the flag? And there's Brad. Or, uh, I don't have the name in front of me. The umpire. Uh, the, 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 looking at the flag. Am I going to throw it? Am I going to throw it? And and uh, And eventually it came out. And... As Sean Payton said, generally, not in specific reference to any one play, it's called roughing the passer. There was no roughing there. Roughing? I mean, that's, that's I mean, that's nothing. I mean, that's nothing. It's, I, I don't even know no, what to say. It's nothing, the passer. It's, I've been waiting. That's it. You finally have it. I've been thinking about saying brushing the passer. I've been trying to think of another. We got to call it. Perfect. Nothing the pa- illegal nothing, nothing the, the passer. passer. That's what that's I like it. That's the penalty. That's what we'll go. Nothing the passer. Please, illegal nothing the passer. Illegal, illegal, that was really bad offense, but we're just going to reward you. I mean, your right tackle can't block a damn guy, and your quarterback throws into double coverage. But, hey, here's a first down on the one-yard line. Hey, no problem. You guys did crappy, but here's a reward. I mean, that's to me the the double whammy on that. I mean, yeah, there's your first nothing the passer of the of the uh, after further review horse crap calls here on a Wednesday <laughs> afternoon. We are getting fired. We are getting fired by Wednesday afternoon. Barry Anderson, by the way, is the umpire who is responsible for that. Hmm, am I going to throw the flag? Am I going to throw the flag? And then he went ahead and threw the flag. All right, let's go to last Thursday night. Another. Oh Nothing the passer call. Javon Holland, who had a spectacular game, wearing number eight for the Dolphins. He's a player. Hitting number eight for the Ravens. Oh, Holland's great. Too bad Michael Parsons is taking over. Or Holland would be a candidate for defensive player of the year, especially based on the way he played last Thursday night. But here we go. Nothing the passer. Javon Holland on Lamar Jackson. Uh, and, and again, every time now we see in the – corner of the shot as it fades away oh we got to get ready for the flag now I understand you cannot hit the quarterback defenseless posture head or neck area but it's got to be the rule book says it a forcible blow to the head yes that's not a forcible blow to the head no how is that a forcible blow to the head exactly right that's where we're going out this is not what the rule was intended for and I, I don't even know I mean yeah he barely touches his head I mean if anything it's like it's a, like illegal kissing right there. I don't even know what you call that. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And there it is in a 15-3 game, and this is the drive, right, that Baltimore goes down and scores a touchdown. Yeah, because you get a 10-yard out route, and then you get a 15 more yards into that. Now you're in field goal territory. It, it's a, you know, it, it gave the Ravens a little more hope than they should have. Horrible call. Horrible call. Horse crap. And, and I give Lamar Jackson credit for not flopping there, but I, yeah. I would think that part of the process in determining whether or not the blow was forcible is, does the quarterback fall down? Yeah. And and I know that's not dispositive, but you could just tell by the way he reacted. He was not hit very hard. Not much force was applied to Lamar Jackson. And I understand Lamar Jackson went a long time, like 600 dropbacks plus over a two-year period with no roughing the passer yeah. penalties at all. He drew two the other night, so at least they're being fair, but... He's also got to the point where he's drawing nothing the passer, nothing the passer. as well.
All right, next one, Josh Allen, the Jaguars' defensive end in Indianapolis on Sunday against the Colts and Carson Wentz. Here's another one, and a lot of these are going to be nothing the passer because this is where most of the bad calls are coming from currently. uh, Josh Allen applies the hit to Carson Wentz, and watch. You you ask yourself, what about that? What? Is roughing the passer. What? What about it? What about it is a violation of the rules? I mean, what about it? I, I don't he's know. He's right on top of him. It wasn't two steps, and he just pushed him. All he did was push him. I mean, he, that's a two-hand touch football game, and we're throwing we're throwing a flag on it. And, of course, that led to points for the Colts. They get three extra points there. Maybe they would have got it anyways there. I don't know. But just absolutely ridiculous call. Ridiculous call, and I think I know who called that one. Oh, that's 99. That's Tony Correnti. No. No. At least he didn't posture. Yeah. At least there was no posturing that yes. occurred in the playing of that football game. Um, I, I, I want to press pause here. We got one more nothing to pass or penalty yeah. to show you. I was joking with someone recently, and I probably said this here, and I don't mean it seriously, but it really would eliminate a lot of the ambiguity if the roughing the punter and kicker rules applied to roughing the passer. It really would. Then we would know. If you touch the guy after he throws the ball, you're getting a 5 or a 15. Why not do the same? If if we're going to have this craziness where they throw a 15-yard penalty and an automatic first down for touching the guy after he throws the ball, why not make it a 5 and a 15? And why not make it you just can't touch him? Why not just do that? It would be a hell of a lot easier to apply the rule, and we wouldn't have these ridiculous swings that we're now seeing where guys who are nothing the passer are getting penalized 15 yards. I mean, it would be, yeah, at least it would be, you know, what what do we want to say, consistent? Yeah, at least it would be that. Of course, you know I don't agree with that. But the, the, I don't either. But no. it would be it would at but, least but the, work better than yeah, the current system. You're right. System. I know. It, well, it, it, I I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Or they could actually wait till the quarterback gets rough and hit hard, and stop yeah, listening to a right. bunch of nerds at 3:45 who don't know what the hell they're talking about. I'm sorry. I'm calling everybody there. 3:45 Park Ave. You're getting too involved in the game. You're messing it up. You're messing up football. I love it more than you. 3:45. I love it more. I do. You ask anybody. I love football more than you. I know more than you people, too. You're messing the game up. I, it pisses me off. Hey, Sorry, Liverpool. Since we're dancing on the third rail, here's the reality. They are twisting themselves in pretzels to try to make the game as safe as possible so they can cram an 18th game down the gullets of the NFL Players Association. That's why this stuff is happening. That's why that lowering the helmet foul was crafted out of the air by non-football people in 2018. Jeff Miller and Jeff Pash getting together and ramming it through to make the game safer to advance the commissioner's objective to have 18 regular season games, acting on behalf of the owners, not on his own. They want 18 games. They want more inventory. That's why. If you want to know the why, the why is – we have to find ways to make the game safer so we can play more football games. Wait, wait right, one, one more, more, one more. I just want to add to what you said because you're right. That's exactly what it is. And then we went through an era where we went through a little time here where we didn't have a lot of great quarterbacks. So, man, we don't want the great ones to get hurt. Let's start protecting. We don't have that problem anymore. We don't have that problem. There's, there's really good quarterbacks that can go and win the Super Bowl everywhere. Everywhere. 
So that's got to stop. We're seeing studs come out in the draft. It's not 20 years ago. You know, it's not 15 years ago where it was just Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, and a handful of guys where you went, they're elite. The rest of the group, I don't know about. We, we got a lot of guys that are board, elite, borderline elite, or very, very good and capable of winning a Super Bowl. That's, to me, the other reason, and it's got to change. Well, but there's a symbiosis to it as well because, as you said earlier, the teams aren't valuing the backup quarterback position because the quarterbacks no are being so yeah. ridiculously overprotected. So you can't all of a sudden stop protecting them. Otherwise, you got a bunch of They're Mason Rudolphs running around right. playing yeah. quarterback. Yeah. So it's 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 a weird cycle codependency that's yeah. going on here between the teams saying we don't really need great back backup quarterbacks and the league saying wait these teams got some bad backup quarterbacks we better we better make sure we do everything we can to protect the starters all right one more nothing the passer this comes from monday night Cantavius street with a hit on matthew stafford now this is one that i understand look but but you know you can't hit the guy low but he's falling down there there has to be some allowance for common sense here He's falling down. He's not diving into Matthew Stafford's legs like Kimo von Olhoff and into Carson Palmer. He's falling. So I don't get it. And I understand to put Matthew Stafford at risk. But you know what? When you're in a pocket in a football game, there's risk. Yeah. The guy was falling down. He was not diving at his legs. No. You know, you know I mean, listen, I understand this, is, this one's maybe the most debatable one of all. But, yes, again, this is where we get into the common sense thing. There was no effort to try to do this. You know, it's two big guys going at it. They both kind of slip and fall, and it's an unintended consequence. There's no intent on trying to hit Matthew Stafford low. I think that's what we're looking at, and that's where we'd like to see the referees change. Yeah, I'm all for like that. I'm all for protecting the lower half of the quarterbacks. With all these rules, that's the one that makes sense. But again, call it when it looks like a guy's actually going low, not when, oh, man, I got a 300-pound guy pushing me in my back as I'm going to the ground and now he drives me closer to the quarterback. I mean, that's what we see more times or not with that call now. The defensive players are very aware of it. They do their best to not even go low. They don't want to hurt the quarterback that way either, the defensive players. Nobody likes to hit a a quarterback low and hear their knee pop right next to their ear hole in their helmet. That's not a cool thing, even for killer defensive linemen. You know, so... Uh, yeah, it goes back to our Except in the sense. 2009 NFC Championship game. Other than that, um, but uh, I digress. Uh, but everybody, look, there was a time, and, and, and I think the NFL's reaction to the bounty scandal, which was happening in a lot of NFL cities, it wasn't just the Saints. All they cared about was the Saints. All they wanted to do was put a head on a pike yeah. and scare everyone else straight. No doubt. There was a culture in the NFL 100%. for years. It goes back to Al Davis. The other team's quarterback must go down. He must go down hard. Right. Your chances of winning are enhanced if you can get the starting quarterback off the field. You hit him. You hurt him. You get him out of the game. That used to be the open, accepted, nobody thought twice about a culture Never. of football. Never. And with the bounty scandal, it did a 180 overnight. And you can't even talk about it now. You can't even talk about it now or you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Can't even mention that's the way it used to be. No, I'm know. sitting here saying, am I going to get in trouble for mentioning that's the way it used to be, even though I know that's the way it used to be? Because I used to watch the games every Sunday in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. That's the way it used to be. Yeah, it is the way it used to be. I mean, I was on teams. I witnessed it. Night before a game, you know, might be something you do to kind of get excited. You know, guys would like – I was on a team where – you know, they uh, players would offer up money. Offensive player might go a thousand dollars. Anybody on defense gets a pick six. 
$1,000, anybody gets more than one sack in the game. Those type of things. You know, you know, $1,000 for, you know, crushing a wide receiver over the middle. Nobody was trying to talk about, like, hurting them or anything like that. But just, like, adding a little fuel to the fire, a little camaraderie to the football team. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's football. We didn't sign up for the Boy Scouts. Everybody knows what they signed up for. And as we've heard, like, with people like Larry Fitzgerald, too, remember when he used to say, he used to tell defenders, hit me in the head. Don't hit me in the knee. I'll pay your fine. You know, you know sometimes, I, 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 you know, what, what, what the league is asking to do is not necessarily in the best interest of the players. But it is for the optics of the game, like you're saying about 18 games. We want to make it good for mommy and daddy at home. All of that aspect starts to come into play a little too much. And by the way, to the extent that anyone out there doesn't realize this, Chris has an extra layer of credibility when speaking of these matters because he almost died on the field in 2006. Lost his spleen. Nobody pulled him out of the game. They pulled him out of the game. They checked him out. They put him back in, and he almost died. So he he, I think that you are probably the foremost authority on being willing to say there's a certain element of football that we're losing here. Uh, yes. When when we when we wrap these guys in 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 bubble tape. Uh, and and we, we no longer let them you're, play football. I, I don't right. I, I I don't think anybody. Look, I don't think it should go back to the way that it was. Right. But I think they've gone so far the other way. Right. That it's getting ridiculous. Yes, that, that's exactly. I, listen, I grew up in an era where yeah, you know, watching my dad and the '86 Giants, they hit the quarterback. That's what they did. I watched my dad get killed by the Philadelphia Eagles and Reggie White and Jerome Brown and Clyde Simmons. I mean, I used. Forget I playing quarterback. I used to be scared for my dad in the stands going, oh, gosh, it's the Eagles. I hope they don't hurt him today. I mean, I really used to sit there and do that, let alone when I got in the NFL and you played a defense like the Carolina Panthers, the Julius Peppers, and Chris Jenkins and coming. Yeah, I was more scared in that game than I was in other games. I was going, damn, they're big and ferocious. Holy crap, does the pocket seem really like it's collapsing fast. It affects your decision-making. It affects your sight lines, all of it, and that's where we're losing it. And, and to me, you know, the, def the teams that are defensive orchestrated have lost an advantage right now in the game, and the Saints being one of them. Their defensive line is one of their bread and butters. But, you know, I don't, it goes back to, like, I don't, is it worth even having it? If you're going to have these type of calls, always ruin the game. All right, from nothing the passer to a phantom holding penalty that was called on Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks that knocked them out of field goal range. And Pete Carroll actually said on Monday, I think it was, that there were some some calls that he had concerns about. Yeah. He was willing to be a little bit candid about it. We'll see if he gets fined. Here's Damian Lewis on a, a play that that they, they say he was holding as he got bull rushed and what? knocked to the ground. Let's take a look at this. He's playing left guard. Holding. Watch him. Watch him. Watch him. He got shoved to the ground. What's he holding? He got dominated. What's he holding? He got dominated. Lowry is literally tripping over him. I mean, he's literally tripping. Uh, you know, again, that's common sense. Or, or you're throwing a flag and you didn't really see it. You saw it out of the corner of your eye and you think you saw something. And so that's you see not the end the result, either. it's like, hey, that guy fell down. He must have been held and pulled to the ground, even though you didn't see it. Exactly. That, that's probably what it was. Exactly right. And and what what happened there? It cost them a chance to kick a field goal. I mean, that this is the end of the first half, right? Am I got that right? I'm trying to go off the top of my mind. Yes, it is. It's the end of the first half. And a 3-0 three, three, three game. Like, they're going to kick the field goal if this penalty doesn't get called. But 
you know, again, I, I don't know. It's just, to me, common sense, not seeing the game the right way, not full-time employees at the referee position. Uh, it just Sky Judge, like, yeah, all of it. Sky Judge, full-time employee, pay the money, pay the money, right, pay the money. Hey, NFL, you're going to be making, and your own executive, Chris Halpern, said this a couple of months ago, a billion dollars a year, a year, an extra billion for absolutely nothing. You think the Packers got it good with their stock grift. They're going to make a <laughs> billion dollars a year for doing nothing more than they currently do because of gambling. Yeah. Spend that money yeah. on shoring up your officiating because we're going to keep doing this. Yeah. And I know that there are people not in the In, in the, the tight league, circle. With the teams. Oh. There are people with the teams oh. who, who are, who, I'm, are I happy I we're doing this. Are very happy we're doing I, I this. I had somebody reach out to me yesterday who was like, dude, you guys are onto something. Go for it. There's a belief that the combination of external pressure and internal pressure will cause the NFL to finally realize we can't be complacent. We can't be arrogant. We can't be cheap. We've got to fix this problem. All right. There's one more. And what we're going to try to do as we continue to do this feature, assuming we don't get fired by next Wednesday or by uh, next segment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's one that that isn't a good in our one. minds egregious, yeah. it, and we're going to call it reasonable minds may differ. This also comes from the Packers-Seahawks game, and Chris, I know you and Pete were debating this yesterday. I'm going to let you explain this one because I frankly wasn't paying attention to the text thread because you guys would not quit, and I was trying to work. <laughs> Go ahead. All good, all good. It's all right. It goes, you know, it, it happens sometimes. Fumbled snap, midfield, second and two, you know. Now, they give the ball to the Green Bay Packers here. Now, I know Aaron Rodgers touches the ball first. I didn't know touching was possession. Ooh, That's ooh, to man, me where the Seahawks I, have that. The Seahawks have it, right. That one. That's what Seahawks I, I tried it. to say. First off, the ball is moving in Rodgers' hands right there. That's not possession. If the ball's moving in your hands, that's that's so now I'm gonna be looking for this this weekend. If the one guy fumbles and he just touches it first, I'm gonna go, well, he should get the ball. That's the way it is. I don't what was know. The ruling on the field. What the was the ruling, ruling on, on the field, field was they get first off, Darrell Taylor comes away with the ball out of the scrum here, clearly. And the ruling on the field was they gave the ball back to Green Bay. Yes. Pete Carroll challenged it. I don't this in my backyard. Peewee football, high school football, no matter what it is, nobody would give the ball here to Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion. And there, you saw it quickly, and you're going, no, my there's no way. Look, my first look was that's that that that's that's recovered one, by Seattle. Right. One guy has a hand on it. The other guy has it cradled within his chest. You can see the ball moving right there. So Rodgers doesn't have possession. That's not a clear recovery. Uh, so another one. You know, again, where's the common sense? I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't. And it gets reviewed, and we still come back to that. You know, I understand there's a little gray area on that one. But to me, again, we're – It's not as gray as I thought. I'm yeah. glad I didn't pay attention to right. it yesterday. I was busy with other stuff. Right. And I, I I saw, like, a still frame came through, and you guys were debating it. And it's like, all right. I, and my phone's going ding, ding, ding every three seconds know, with you guys. Are, that's fine. That's fine. I, I got to mute the conversation. Right. But – um. But but I'm glad I hadn't seen it because that my goodness, that's a bad call. Bad that's call. A, that's that's a Potter Stewart know it when you see it. The first time exactly. you see that, that's a fumble clearly recovered by the Seahawks, not by Aaron Rodgers. No, I know. So there's two calls right there that you know egregiously affect the just that game alone, let alone some of the other ones we showed there. Um, but. Uh, yeah, just to me, it's it's something we've talked about. I'm glad we did this. I feel good. This is like therapy. 
This is right. yeah. you know. It's better than airing of grievances. The grievances are baked into each and every call. They are. I, I will say this, though. There is a chance we won't be back tomorrow. There is a chance we won't be back next segment. It'll be somebody else talking about the power rankings for week 11. We will do that when we return, if we return. Stay tuned. How about some feats of strength coming out of week 10? Sammy Watkins. We'll go back to Thursday night, Chris. Watch this. Justin Man. Coleman, get out of the way. Lock it. Right down. And then on the same play, Woo! we talked about Javon Holland earlier. Look at that. Wow. Hit. Clean, legal football play. First, a nod to Sammy Watkins. Sit down, Justin Coleman, and then lay down. Oh, my gosh. That's Bam. a good one. That was a good one. Oh, we got George the Kittle, Kittle Cruiser. Welcome to the NFC West, Von Miller. Yeah, Take a seat. <laughs> Kittle hey, driving when, those legs. When, when Kittle was playing like that, the 49ers are unbeatable. They're tough. You know, They're no doubt. He's got he that vibe, team, scores right. the touchdown. He's right. excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's impressive. David Andrews. Here's Man. a here's a quick little not not one impressive feat, but two mini feats Get that come together. And then one a boom guy there off. and one yeah. boom there and it keeps the play alive. Well done. Yeah, Pat David Andrews. Here's Creed Humphrey. Watch this. Look at he his right his arm. So well. He one-handed and he takes out one of his guys. Man. He puts two on the ground. Unfortunately, one's wearing the same color helmet. Centers are some of the best athletes in football. They're so explosive in short areas and strong as hell. Yeah, but they need to work on their balance a little bit. Here's Creed Humphrey, same game. Uh, and it's just a little touch. And, you know, when you knock a big guy off balance, uh, he's got to go somewhere. And I don't know, is this acting? Is that best supporting? Best supporting go actor. Ahead. Go ahead. Creed Bratton is a better actor than Creed Humphrey, but Creed Humphrey still uh, entertainment for our uh for our audience as we look at the feats of strength from week 10 and move to the power rankings, Chris, from week 11. And there's a new team at the top. It's their first trip to the top all year long. They're getting excited in Nashville. The Titans move up two spots to number one because the prior number one, the Cardinals, lost. And the prior number two, uh, Rams or Bucks, one of the two, it was the Rams. No, it was the Bucks at number two. They lost as well. So, up go the Titans to number one. Do you have a problem with the Titans being number one when the other options are the Packers and the Cowboys? I, I don't. Not right now. You know, I mean, uh, Titans are hot. I, I don't know. It just seems like they find a way to win every football game. Yeah, you know, they've been, you know, maybe a hair lucky here and there. I don't know. Again, I mean, you know, if if, if Josh if Josh Allen has, you know, bigger spikes on and the quarterback sneak, I don't know, he probably gets that first down in that game, but Man, you know, their defense is created and made a lot of good plays. Their offense is efficient. You know, they, they, they're they banged up at the wide receiver position. You know, they're still doing a good job on the offensive side of the ball. Vrabel manages it. I mean, we're ranking the team, not necessarily the sex appeal and all that. I got no issue with you making the Titans number one right now. I, I think it's hard to kind of argue that. I mean, listen, are their teams more talented? Certainly. Um, but they kind of seem to, to find ways to win week in and week out. And I've been saying all week, they have perfected this year 
that vibe that every team tries to get into where you treat each week as a standalone unit. You try to go 1-0 and every yeah, week. You right. find a way to go 1-0 and every week, whatever it takes. All we got to do this week is go 1-0, and and I think that's part of the Bill Belichick influence on Mike Vrabel. Our goal is to win every game. And, by the way, uh, they have for the last, what, six or seven weeks in six a row. Six weeks in a Here, row against yeah, really Mike good teams. At Mike Campaign says, puke emoji on Tennessee at number one. They are the 2020 Steelers and survive on a steady diet of extremely good luck that is sure to end, and I bet it will end soon. But I didn't realize this. We wrote about this last night. MDS spotted it and put up a story about it. The Titans are the first team ever to get seven wins against playoff teams from the prior year in the first 10 weeks of a season. Now, that's a fairly specific and narrow category, but it's damn impressive that seven of their eight wins – are against teams that went to the playoffs last year, and it almost balances out the fact that they lost to the Jets. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, they, you know, they they got caught off guard with the Jets. Zach Wilson made some unbelievable plays. They kind of screwed the game up too to go along with that. But man, you beat the Saints, the Rams, the Colts on the road, dominate the Chiefs at home, beat the Bills before that. I don't, I don't know how you argue that. You know, again, I don't know. I don't see 2020 Steelers all over again. Not with this football team. I don't. You know, they're still trying to find their way a little on offense without Derrick Henry, but uh, I think it's going to be good enough. They do need the receivers to be healthy. That's going to be a real thing, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, as they go forward if they want to win a Super Bowl. But, you know, I don't know. You could say 2020 Steelers, or you could almost say 2001 Patriots-ish. And I don't know if that was really that sexy until all of a sudden they were in the Super Bowl beating the greatest show on turf. And then we went, whoa, they won the Super Bowl. So they kind of have that magic about them, and uh, that's how I view it. But I don't know how you can really argue it right now with the list of teams that they have beaten and the way they've beaten them for the most part. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fight you there. One more on the Titans. Matt Skinner says, I have a hard time putting Tennessee at number one because I can't see any way they win a Super Bowl, especially without Derrick Henry. And I, I've seen different reports, and who really knows if Henry makes it back this year, but the longer they play into January and into February, the – there is a chance, I guess, that that he could return at some point. What a difference that would make in a postseason run. But they've shown they can win without him. We thought they were done, and they went to L.A., and they handled yeah, the Rams. Right. And then, you know, hey, look, the Saints didn't have Alvin Kamara, and Trevor Simeon's playing quarterback, and that game could have gone either way, but they find a way to win. Now watch, they'll lose to the Texans this weekend because that's kind of the way it goes in the NFL. Every time you think you have it figured out, you don't. Um, David Binger points out that five of the top six teams are in the NFC. That number one seed in playoff by is going to be huge. And, and it really is. And any of those five teams that you see there from two through six could end up with the number one seed. They're going to get the week off, much needed in January. And the road to the Super Bowl is going to go through their stadium. And if it goes through Green Bay... With the NFC Championship being played on January 30 this year, and I know they lost last year to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I'll take the Packers over the Rams. I'll take the Packers over the Cardinals. I'll take the Packers over the Cowboys at Lambeau Field for a berth in the Super Bowl. The only team that I would pause and debate whether or not I'd take the road team is Tampa Bay. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And, you know, it's funny that we're saying that because, of course, Tampa always has that stigma of, like, not being good in cold weather. But... Yeah, that, that, of course, they got Brady and company, and there's there's certainly a belief in magic that they could do it again. There's no doubt. But, man, the NFC. You know, again, I, I, I like how you have it ordered there. 
I can't really argue with anything there, I think, when you really look at it. And I just think all those NFC teams have less issues than some of the good AFC, AFC teams we've talked about. And even at number 11 with the Saints, I mean, again, yeah, we, we want to see their offense be a little bit more explosive or better, but they're a dangerous football team who certainly can ruin some, you know, some t t team's Super Bowl dreams there with the way that defense plays and the way we know Sean Payton can come up with an offensive game plan. So I do look at the NFC as being far more dangerous. And as we've talked about it the last few weeks, I think just far more complete football teams, teams that you don't look at and go, wait, there's this one area that I still don't trust. The AFC has a little of that in every team, in my opinion. Uh, one more real quickly, and then we got to take a break. Yeah. We, we spent a lot of time on the last segment, but it was time well spent. Cowboys at number three. Bet Steve says, we, 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 I didn't know the Cowboys were selling stock now too. We would put 40 on Green Bay's defense. Mm. Green, right now, Green Bay's defense is looking mm. pretty good. Yes. Green Bay's, Joe Barry is like one of those guys that's going to be up for head coaching consideration next year. You know, he was under Brandon Staley and Wade Phillips with the Los Angeles Rams the last few years that you could see the influence that that had on him, let alone he came from the Bucks coaching staff that I was a part of when I was playing. So he's got a background of some really smart defensive people and got a variety of what he does on the defensive side of the ball. So, yeah, I don't – I don't, you know, for right now – listen, I think the Cowboys are more talented than the Packers uh, maybe as a whole, but I don't necessarily agree with that statement. I don't think you're going to put 40 on them. And, again, what we can't forget, too, is this Cowboys defense – if the offense doesn't put them in a power position, I do think is shaky a little bit. So Aaron Rodgers and company playing the Cowboys is going to move the ball on that unit too. I have a hard time thinking the Cowboys are just going to stonewall some of these great uh, NFC offensive teams you know, when it does come playoff time. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, Aaron Rodgers spoke yesterday, and he also spoke Sunday, about the failed pursuit of Odell Beckham Jr. Does he have a problem with the fact that Green Bay did not land OBJ? We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. All right, Odell Beckham Jr., we got to see him play on Monday night. He had the catch for five yards. He had another one for 13 later in the game. This is one where it suddenly got very hazy and foggy in in Santa Clara. I, that 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 every time I see that highlight, it's like where'd that cloud come from, and where'd that throw come from, and where'd that hit come from from OBJ. Anyway, Aaron Rodgers, he initially addressed this Sunday after the win over the Seahawks. He was asked about the pursuit of Odell Beckham Jr. There was a sense the Packers weren't really trying to get him. They made him an offer that they knew he wouldn't accept. They weren't rolling out the red carpet the way that the Rams did. What Rodgers said, and I'm paraphrasing, and this is from Sunday, his post-game press conference, I think we're obviously limited with our salary cap situation. I'm not sure what he ended up signing for. I've been friends with Odell for a long time. He has so much talent and ability. I wish him the absolute best. I think there were a lot of conversations about bringing him in. For whatever reason, it just wasn't the right fit. I feel good about the fact that we were in the mix, that there were conversations, and in the end, I guess it just wasn't the right fit. So it sounds like he's placated. They made enough of an effort that he's not upset about it, Chris, but at the same time, they didn't close the deal. No. And he ultimately picked LA. He wanted LA, but I feel like LA really pulled out all the stops 
to recruit OBJ, that he wanted to feel the love, as he said, right. and he felt it from L.A. more than he did from any other team. Yeah, it does seem that way. You know, again, that's where McVay is masterful, his ability to communicate and, and you know, sell how special of a place it is, the culture they got there. But I think, you know, ultimately it probably comes down to, like you said, just L.A. You know, that's where Odell is in the offseason. You know, it sounds like that's where he wants to live the rest of his life. So there's that. And I think, too, you know, he probably sees a little bit of a future there. He's hoping there's a future there, at least. Uh, you know, what did he sign for, Mike? Did he end up getting, like, $3 million One, some? It's $1.25 million, yeah, and he okay. can make another $3 million based upon postseason success up to and including winning the Super Bowl. He's got to play in those games. Right. But he gets a little bit more and a little bit more for every level the Rams progress in the postseason on top of the 1.25. So it isn't, and it's smart. It's not tied to how many catches he gets. It's not tied to anything individual. It's tied to what the team does. Yeah, that's, that is very smart. Uh, it really is. But I think it's like those, those factors. You know, Odell probably living in Green Bay, you know, not sure if there really is a future there other than what he does this year. Is Aaron Rodgers even going to be there next year? I think when he looks at all of those, and I think he probably just looks at, wait, if I could go somewhere, be happy where I live, jumpstart my career, you know, be with a, a guy that's, you know, an offensive genius and McVay, Stafford can chuck the ball down the field. Uh, and not to say Lafleur and Rodgers, you know, I know they're really damn good too, but I just think it's the other circumstances that ultimately led OBJ to be there. And if Beckham becomes a free agent again in March, the Rams will have the exclusive ability to negotiate a new contract with him until two days before free agency. I'm going to be curious to see whether as many teams come to the table because I've detected some frustration. And I don't think it's just the usual sour grapes. It's the guy is too indecisive. There were teams that were in the mix that were never even told yeah, by Beckham's camp that they were out. Right. That there's just some frustration that he was all over the place. Last Wednesday, he was telling former teammates in Cleveland he was signing with the Chiefs, folks. So I understand he's got the right to make his decision. But the idea that he was all over the place, we'll see if that rubs teams the wrong way when it's time to recruit him, if there will be recruitment next year, and how he plays or doesn't play with the Rams is going to be a factor as well, yeah. obviously. Yeah, 100%. You know, People are going to want to evaluate him here. You know, He's going to get some shots. He should get a chance to catch a lot of footballs after their bye week. You know, again, it's just him, Van Jefferson, and Cooper Cup. Uh, and we talked about it yesterday. You know, I, I think they've gone the route of we're going to err on passing the ball more than we're going to run the football. You know, they'll, 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 they'll try to run it, but I think it's more for the benefit of the pass game going forward. And, yeah, he rubs people the wrong way. You know, like I think we talked about it a little last week. You know, there's, I know there was a faction of teams that just kind of look at it and they're like, no, we don't want to deal with him. He's a pain in the butt, period. We're not touching him. Uh, and, then, you know, of course, I think there's a, a, a small handful of teams that I think have the certain formula who were interested because they have a head coach and a quarterback that they think can handle the whole situation. And I think those are the teams we kind of saw or heard that were in the mix for OBJ. And really, honestly, no matter how the year ends, I feel like we're going to hear the same teams involved if he does become a free agency and leaves Los Angeles. It's going to be that same group of teams because to me it's going to be – it is going to be that type of scenario that gets them there. Yeah, offense has got to be a good good – but it's got to be a quarterback that's ready, established, here we go, and a, and a head coach who you know, has a, 
uh, a reputation for being able to handle personalities and, you know, being a cool guy other than just being a, you know, hardline coach all the time. And there's a sweet spot there. You have a plan for using him, but you're not going to create a situation where there's so much pressure on the quarterback or the coach to use him that it becomes counterproductive. And a lot of that's on how OBJ carries himself. Yeah. When he's not in the game, when he's not getting the ball thrown his way, Troy Aikman already suggested yesterday that Stafford's feeling the pressure that Baker Mayfield felt to force the ball to OBJ. I don't know that one game is enough of a sample Why? Because he threw the but ball I'll, up? I, that's, I don't be, get that. The next game the Rams play yeah. will be Rams at Packers with Aikman on the call. So it'll be very interesting to see what he thinks and what he learns in the production meetings, et cetera, in advance of that game. Let's take a break. We're going to do a very simple draft because the MVP race is wide open. Our MVP candidates through 10 weeks. We'll draft those next here on PFT Live. Went to Twitter. On DirecTV, if you get a big storm, they it'll ask you to watch it in low resolution, right? So my little boy's sitting here, and we're watching the Manning cast at this point just for a few minutes, and he's like, man, he's like, is this what the TV looked like? When you were, when it was your age, or when not, you know, when you were my age, I was like, man, we're getting old. Like me and my wife looked at each other because we were just like, yeah, back in my day, That's they the couldn't put three time. people on there. <laughs> That's the first time I know. That you've ever tried the piano music. <laughs> oh yes, every time I hear that on the way in, I assume it's about me, yep. but no, nope. it's about you. I'm getting I old. fully support that. I'm getting I fully old. support that. <laughs> All right. Quick trivia question before we do the draft of the MVP candidates. 64 MVP awards have been handed out. 61 have been won by quarterbacks or running backs. Two were won by defensive players, Lawrence Taylor in 1986 and Alan Page in 1971. Who won the other MVP award? Oh, my gosh. Wait. So, okay. Wait. Two were? Oh, I know this. It's a kicker, um, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to na name his name here. You got a name. You I can't know. just say it's a kicker. I know. It's the guy it's on Washington player. during the strike year, but I'm not going to be able to name his name. I'm not going to be able to do it. So go ahead. You get first How pick. do you know all those details and you can't name Mark Mosley? Oh, Mark Mosley. That's straight it. straight-on kicker, yeah. one of the last straight-on kickers, uh. the nine-game strike shortened season of 1982. I still don't know how that happened. And every once in a while when it comes up, I, I – I, tell myself I'm going to do a deep dive into the 1982 stats and figure this out. I, I never, I always forget, but I don't understand why there wasn't some other option than Mark Mosley. I, I listen, I, I don't either. I don't. And like, you know, kickers are the one thing I would probably say I'm the least informed of in my football historian type of stuff. In fact, even when I go on the radio or other shows at times, you know, they tell me and I go, you can, to ask me anything. I don't care what you just go. I mean, I do this for a living. Well, all we do is follow football all day long. I say, you could ask me anything. Just don't ask me about kickers. Uh, other than that, I'm, I'm good in any other area. I'll <laughs> oh, see. I, I, and I had a fascination with kickers when I was a kid because that was when the soccer style began to infiltrate football. And you're so used to seeing the, the straight Lou Groza, George Blanda with the toe. Uh, it, it, anyway, uh, here's the MVP draft. There will be no kickers right. in the MVP draft. Right. I I'll start, I guess, with Kyler Murray. I, I know. Guess. Isn't it weird? Well, I'm not. 
I'm not real sure about it. I'm He's not sure a about any of games now. Yeah. I don't know how many games you can miss before you're disqualified. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the Cardinals are one of the best teams in the NFL. And if they get the one seed in the NFC, then he's the guy that I think is going to win it. And right now, I, I'd say it's pretty good value at 14 to 1. So, yeah, I'll go Kyler Murray. Yeah, I I, I, I hear you. Uh, it, it is a, it's a weird year right now. It's hard to kind of figure out who it is. I feel like at this time of the year, we usually have a good feel. It's down to like two or three guys. It's wide open right now. It really is. Um, you know the guy I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on to here. I'm gonna go with Dak Prescott. I am. Uh, you know, I, to me, again, what he came, what he's you know went through last year to come back to play the way he has played, the transformation of their team altogether. I know he had the bad game two weeks ago where he just missed some throws. It wasn't like it was egregious, stupid mistakes or anything like that. I think he's gonna continue to play at awesome level. Their offense is good. I'm going to go with Dak Prescott. I'm amazed you did not go with O, Aaron Rodgers. I know. Because I am. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Last week he he, he agreed with this notion that he, there's no way he's going to win the MVP. Do you not understand how the voting works? The Associated Press voters don't care. Brian Cushing won the Defensive Rookie of the Year Award in 2009. He was suspended for PED violations. They stripped him of the award. They revoted, and he won it again. They're not going to care that he tested positive for COVID and missed a game. If they're the one seed in the NFC, I think Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. He could, He's certainly in, in play there, definitely. Um, all right. You know, again, in, in a tough week last week. I'm, I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson. That's the next one I'm going to go with. Uh, he's played pretty consistent football throughout the year. You know, again, it was not. he didn't play his best last week. It wasn't all him. There were some offensive problems. But, man, he, to me, exemplifies MVP. I mean, he is the offense. They're not as great on defense. And you can see if he can't make magic, they're not that good on that side of the ball. So that's why I'll go Lamar. Round three when this Wednesday edition of PFT Live concludes right after this. All right, round three of the MVP draft, and I'm going to go with Tom Brady here, and here's my logic, Chris. We talked about this briefly during the break. If the Titans end up with the one seed in the AFC, Ryan Tannehill's not going to be the MVP. It's going to be the quarterback of the one seed in the NFC if that's the case. So I'm loading up with NFC quarterbacks of the teams that I think have the best chance to be the one seed. I've got Kyler. I've got Rodgers. You have Dak Prescott, and the other possibility would be Tom Brady. The team that wins the one seed in the NFC, I think that quarterback is going to have a better shot, whether it's Tannehill or not, as the quarterback of the one seed in the AFC. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that thought. You're you're right because uh, Tannehill, you're right, is not going to win that award. Um, uh, and and I understand the Brady thing too. You know, again, he's another guy. I was going to pick like Matt Stafford and go with that. Right? It's been two str struggle games in a row, just like Brady, to where it, you know, again, you're just like, man, that's not MVP level of play right here. And in prime time, and I think that's important time. too. When no everybody doubt. sees it, no doubt about it, no doubt. Um, all right, well, you know what I say, giddy up, okay, giddy up, giddy up, Josh Allen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride with my boy Blue here as my third pick. I am. I mean, if you're asking me a guy who I think can get hot and get going and start making highlight plays, and you know, maybe 
maybe at least have an equal record to Tennessee, they might be one. That might be one where if he's the two seed and puts up great stats, he could maybe win it. That might be the only one that challenges what you're talking about. If the pack, if the Patriots catch fire, right end up as the one seed. I wrote his name down. Jones, the MVP. Uh, I mean, I have a hard time thinking that. That's something to think about. Crazy. Thanks for some of your time as always. We'll see you tomorrow morning with another edition of PFT Live.